1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that studies at the school of the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm the new kid in town. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake, it's an auspicious occasion right now.
0: Yeah, I actually, within this podcast
1: studio, (laughs) had kind of like an overwhelming moment where I realised that I've seen them all. We've come to the end of... The official Stuart Ghibli library. Yeah. 22 films.
0: It's weird. Uh I mean, uh, what a strange one to end it on as well. I don't think anyone would have ever planned out uh, a version of a Ghibli rewatch that ends with ocean
1: waves. Well, this isn't necessarily the end. This is the final Stuart Ghibli produced feature that we're going to do on this podcast, at least until Miyazaki's new film comes out in 2020 slash 2021. We do have two more films in this miniseries, but they're both pre-Ghibli films. So the, w- w- the way we're going to finish this series is to go back. We've got to go back to the beginning. <laughs> We've got to do the prequels uh, to see where it all started. But yes, Ocean Waves, the TV movie from 1993 that uh, very few people in the West actually know about. But congratulations, Jake, you've made it this far.
0: Thank you. Well, um, I feel... Well, I feel... Like quite proud of the journey we've been on and mm-hmm. what we've made, but also quite sad that there are currently no more films. Yeah, and I think I think this is a good time to ask people to maybe tell us what to do next.
1: Well, we've already had so many good suggestions. We set up the Twitter account at Tech for this for this fourth miniseries, and we've already had such great feedback from people saying in what direction we could go mm-hmm. in the future. If you have any bright ideas, we're open to suggestions. Uh, do we go? For different filmmakers? Do we go deeper? There's the On Your Mark music video, Jake, which I know you're raring to watch and talk yeah, about. Maybe at let's do that as a double length episode <laughs> as well. We've got to go long and On Your Mark. But first, Jake, we need to round off the Ghibli collection with Ocean Waves. A young man spots a woman he once knew on the opposite platform at a railway station, and memories from his high school years start flooding back. Taku and his best friend Yutaka are headed back to school for what looks like another uneventful year, but they soon find their friendship tested by the arrival of a beautiful new transfer student from Tokyo. When Taku joins her on a trip to Tokyo, the school erupts with rumours, and the three friends are forced to come to terms with their changing relationships. So
0: Michael, we've got memories, we've got
1: train stations, we've got high school kids, but this is not Only Yesterday. It's not. It actually comes two years after Only Yesterday. Let's start in 1993. This is right in that period where Ghibli is making films at peak productivity, almost a feature a year from 1988 to 1995. And in 1992, they just released Porco Rosso, which was a sizable hit. Ocean Waves comes onto the slate as a potential project for younger members of the Ghibli staff those in their 20s and 30s who are gaining experience on the films of Miyazaki and Takahata and are gonna be allowed to stretch out and make a film all by themselves. So therefore this would be the first film by Ghibli that wasn't directed by Miyazaki or Takahata. And the responsibility falls to a guy called Tomomi Mochizuki who at that point was 36 and even by that young age, he'd had quite a stellar CV of directing anime tv series dating back all the way through the 80s one series he was involved in that jumps out at me looking at that list is he was series director on the anime of rumiko takahashi's gender-bending shape-shifting fantasy series ranma half which was a manga i read as a teenager it's really giving me such
0: like wild excited eyes expecting me to know what that is as
1: well (laughs) oh i i really hope some of our (laughs) our listeners know what ranma half is but anyway Ocean Waves uh, is based on a novel by Saiko Himuro, which was at that point being serialized with illustrations by uh, an an artist called Katsuya Kondo in Animage magazine, which, of course, Toshio Suzuki was the editor and publisher of. So you can see the connections Mm. here. Katsuya Kondo is brought on board as the character designer and one of the animators for the project. And if you look at the credits, there are all sorts of familiar Ghibli names in there. You have Yoshifumi Kondo, two years before he'd make his directorial debut with Whisper of the Heart. He's on animation duties, as is Masashi Ando, who had become an important key animator and character designer in his own right on Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke*. He'd then collaborate outside of Ghibli with Satoshi Kon on Paranoia Agent, Paprika, Tokyo Godfathers. And you also have Keiko Niwa, who I don't know if we have mentioned her name so far. She was the writer who wrote the screenplay for the film, but she'd become a really prominent presence late in the, the game with Ghibli. She wrote or co-wrote the scripts for Tales from Earthsea, Arietti from Up and Poppy Hill, and When Marnie Was There. This was her first Ghibli credit, weirdly 15 years almost, before she'd come back and make more films with them. So there are all sorts of top players involved. This isn't like a reserve team effort. Um, is what i'm saying however the original plan was for this to be a quick cheap but high quality production yet it blows all its deadlines and comes in over budget um we usually judge the success of these films by quoting box box office statistics um but this was a tv movie it played on nippon tv in may 1993 and has never found much of a reputation within the jibby library it's seen as a curio and internationally, at least, it's definitely an underseen film. I believe now now that they did a a new dub for only yesterday, it's this the only film in the J. B. Library that's never been given an English language audio track. Um which is weird. You'd think they'd find yeah. some way to do that. Maybe we'll do it. Oh, we could totally do it. Yeah. Two of us and Steph. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, those are the three three leads right there. And who's to say about the relationship between the two men in the film? <laughs> <laughs> but we should talk about Tomo Machizuki because he has this important historic role as the first non-Miyazaki, Takahata director at Ghibli. He never makes another film with Ghibli. This is his, his one and done. He goes back to working in telly. He's had quite an incredibly successful career. Worked very consistently for the twenty odd years since uh, since 1993, but never really made another feature. Never worked with Ghibli again. This was his only gig. How odd! Curious, yeah. And I think this is a curious film as well, Jake. And I can't wait to dig into it with you. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Jake, we've said this a couple of times now. This is the first Studio Ghibli film that wasn't directed by Miyazaki or Takahata. Is this familiar? Is this different? When this finally starts, what do you think? Instantly it does feel familiar but I'd,
0: it's hard when we watch these films to think oh yeah that's obviously not Miyazaki mm-hmm. and to pinpoint what does that exactly mean because you in a way you can tell within like 30 seconds there's just a feeling and you know that that's not there with this
1: mm-hmm.
0: you mentioned this is two years after only yesterday and we're we're on a train platform we've got take. we're taking that train to the airport we're hopping on an aeroplane <laughs> we're <laughs> Looking at a young romance, it's got that feeling of only yesterday, of Whisper of the Heart. Even from Up on Poppy Hill, there's a feeling of there. There's definitely some familiarity within the wider studio Ghibli world that makes this totally slot in with those other films. Like this does not feel like an alien. Mm-hmm. I think like Earthsea feels more made by someone else outside of
1: Ghibli than this does for sure. Even though the character designs are slightly different. They're more elongated, more human in scale. Yeah, more like Cat Returns. Interesting, yeah. Well, Cat Returns is definitely a good example because that's something where the character design is, is so different. The color palettes are a bit more muted, a bit more mm. pastel-y. Maybe. A little bluer. Yeah, but it really is. You're very much in that sub-genre of the Ghibli romance movies. I find it interesting that Only yesterday's is 1991, This is 93, Whisper of the Heart is 95. They're just almost... Leapfrogging over the more heightened fantasy films like Porco Rosso and just then slotting in with these human dramas. Mm. And yes, it hits a lot of those familiar beats that we see strangely in later period Ghibli. When Marnie was there from Up and Poppy Hill, share a lot of DNA with this. And I wonder whether that's because they share a screenwriter. Mm. You have Young Love, you have Meat Cutes.
0: It's interesting that the screenwriter never actually worked with one of the big, the big yeah. dogs. Yeah, mm. well, she Clearly would have favoured by the studio, but over five films, never works with them.
1: Well, that suggests to me that she's in with Toshio Suzuki, mm. but also she would have worked with with Hayao Miyazaki because he technically co-wrote *From Up Poppy Hill*, and she would have brought something through mm. it. And, it's, and also Arietti he did help with some planning there. So there's. Who knows behind the scenes, but she never wrote a film for the big mm. dogs. But that's because Takahata and Miyazaki like to write their own scripts. But what is different about this within that subgenre is that this is the only Ghibli romance film that's from a boy's point of view, a, bo- a-, a boy protagonist, which is actually, if you look at G- Ghibli as a whole, they're mainly female protagonists. So it's weird to have that here quite unique
0: it is strange and it it kind of takes a while to watch the film that you realize that's what's different about it Mm -hmm. and then it almost gets a bit laddy i know with that with that young teenage boy personality which does make sense if it's from his perspective that it would be this type of character but it's a bit weird Mm -hmm. like this is maybe the only ghibli film that's a little pervy
1: Yes, in a in a gaze way, mm. G-A-Z-E, um, th- There are those sequences where there's no two ways of there's no no, no other way of describing it. They're ogling the girls playing tennis, mm. and there's boob jiggle, which is something that is common in anime. And uh, that sort of ogling is common in manga as well Certain subgenres of manga But you don't see it in a Ghibli movie mm. Admittedly our main character is not interested in that girl But they're still ogling no, the, the the camera or the frame still goes there <laughs> Spends time there yeah, To then make the
0: point that Whilst there's a, a borderline Upskirt shot of uh, The lead female playing tennis That over the top it's like Oh yeah we fancy them because they're so good At tennis <laughs> I don't. I don't think the film
1: quite thinks that. Mm-hmm. And then later in the film, they casually swap candid photos of the the, the female characters lounging on the beach. When yeah, they, when they go on the school it's trip. like a
0: casual narration over the top of like, "I bought some candid photos of her from a friend," <laughs> <laughs> as if to say,
1: "We all do that. That's that's just a normal thing to do." There's, there's definitely some elements of culture clash here, and this is a film that maybe feels dated. Who knows? We we can't really comment very incisively and insightfully on the Japanese lad culture in anime. You definitely have varying ways of portraying this age of boyhood, manhood, teenhood. Either they go f- lean fully into that um, sort of perverted ogling territory the boys who are erupting with nosebleeds around young girls you see that archetype of character in other anime series or there's the soft boy archetype to to adopt a phrase that's used online and these characters seem to vacillate between those two extremes Mm. you're not sure whether that we're watching these sensitive souls or these uh horned dog youngsters Mm. And that they seem to be frustrated
0: about that. Like, they cannot figure out who they are mm-hmm. and how to deal with girls. And in a way, that makes it a great teen boy film because they're not super confident but and they're not the sporty guy and they're not totally arty or they're not super clever. Um, and so it's maybe occupying more of that super bad space of just mm-hmm. kind of being the awkward guys on the side.
1: Yeah. It's 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 fascinating characterization, and they're clearly baffled by this young woman, this character that we only really see through the male, the male character's eyes, who is quite interesting and almost, I'd say, half a perfect character. This this young woman who appears from Tokyo. She's complicated. She's she's cosmopolitan. She clearly has some drama or damage or baggage in her in her life, but this is only. It's only halfway to to really realizing that in this film. I think this film is has a lot going for it and really a lot of potential, but doesn't quite get it. It's the fact that it's also 77 minutes long. If it was maybe 20 minutes longer, you could have more sequences. I don't think it, it doesn't
0: spend enough time with any of the major characters to really fully tip them into interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I'm perfectly happy to be spending time with them, but it, well, if you did take it any longer, like, they'd have to do some serious work to make you feel like you want to be spending more time yeah.
1: with them as well. What is interesting and really compelling for me about this film, and I think uh, goes completely against this film's reputation as something of a forgotten gem because it was made for TV and was qu- quick and cheap and made by the reserve team, is the fact that it's packed with so much detail. The background art, the incidental art, the little, the way the production design, the sets... So, so-called so sets uh, as they are, as this is animation it's packed with detail and things that you do see in some Ghibli films, you mentioned trains and planes and bicycles and umbrellas and all these, it has a great umbrella scene that mm-hmm. would go in the annals of Ghibli's umbrella scenes, but it also has stuff you don't see anywhere else the details of magazines, the details of families sitting down and watching TV together, train stations, drinks cans, You ha- you very much have brand logos in this film and it's beautiful and detailed and so intriguing in in a
0: a different way though to how we speak about the detail and the beauty of the way that they will present breakfast Mm -hmm. or a dish of ramen it's different to that like it feels it it still feels heightened like there's the shot of what the sprite can Mm -hmm. is being like put on a window ledge and it's beautiful but it's it is It is colder, it's gloomier, and not in a when Marnie was there way, Mm -hmm. because it's just going for reality. It's more like everything is just overcast and it's just trying really hard to set up this real glum world.
1: Mm -hmm. And well, it's in the script, isn't it? It's it's interesting. I wonder if Keiko Niwa wrote this line in both This and From Up and Poppy Hill, where she said in this one, it's like a cheap soap opera. Mm. I think the line in Poppy Hill is, this is like a cheap melodrama. I wonder if... That's just the subtitling, two different subtitlers, went for different words, and it's the same word in Japanese or something. But that's what this is, really. It's a light film that passes the time with a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of romance, a little bit of nostalgic yearning. and. But you,
0: you kind of want it to swing a bit further. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't reach the points about like there it's going for some things about nostalgia and memory like there are these postcard inserts where Mm. the frame gradually gets smaller over three the course of three shots to move between time periods really neat and it's trying to do it and then in the way that's acting in the same way that something like only yesterday might do with the way that it treats filling the frame and then we also have how in the edit it might cut in Mm. to a close-up of a new scene before doing the establishing shot so we'll see a lantern and then we'll pop out to see where that actually is Mm -hmm. and i think that for me that's the film trying to represent how we feel memories that we feel them in a sensory way that we will immediately remember first a smell first the appearance of something first how something felt before we remember what that whole day was what that experience was and stuff like this when that happens i think That is clever. Like, Mm -hmm. this is interesting what you're doing here. But it never takes the story far enough to kind of match those experimental ideas. And I really wanted it to. And Mm. I wanted it to, or to go in a complete opposite direction and push into that melodrama like a Marnie or a Poppy Hill where at least you're engaged because of how dramatic it is. And it, it doesn't quite do either for me.
1: Well, I think you were primed. Based on these other films we watched where When Marnie Was There has the twist about who Marnie is, from a Poppy Hill has the incest shenanigans, mm. That would this have a wrinkle like that?
0: Yeah. Well, I was really hoping it would. You said it's a curio. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe it's a bi-curio. Um, there is.
1: <laughs> right. So you wanted some soft boy love, didn't you?
0: And to be honest, I, I am going to put it out there. I think there is. Right. Um, The film is called Ocean Waves and the most romantic moment of the film happens between two men as they're standing by the dock as the waves are coming in and the music's heightened and it's at night and they're really into each other. And the treatment of the friendship between the two male leads is as romantic as any scene between either of them and the female lead as well. And I don't think I'm being mad. I genuinely believe that. It's your galaxy
1: brain moment. I
0: don't think it's galaxy (laughs) brain. I do think it's there in the film. When um, they meet each other, the two lads in an art class, there are all these Roman sculptures around that it cuts around to. It's very like Call Me By Your Name opening titles. (laughs) Uh, And he comes through the art class and they talk about meeting for the first time and how he would be a friend for life. We'd never forget him. And genuinely, yes, I think it's great to treat friendships with the same seriousness and romance as we would treat a rela- romantic relationship. But I do think the film does slightly tip the scales, even if it is by 1% in a romantic direction between the two of them. And I am totally here for it, and I wish it pushed it further.
1: So in the American remake, Timothy Chalamet, yes. Lucas Hedges, mm-hmm. who'd be the female lead with that, be, just get Saoirse Ronan back and have a Lady Bird revival.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Come on, that would be really good. And I think Twitter would melt. They would, wouldn't they? That would, and we can mention American remakes for this one because this is the only Ghibli film that even acknowledges that America exists, right? And they go to the United States. They go to Hawaii, which is okay. something that when it happens, you realize, wait a second, this is strange because Miyazaki and Takahata are so Eurocentric or Japanese-centric, of course.
0: I, did ju- I just said that this film doesn't do anything dramatic,
1: but for us, doing that was crazy. And having American tourists walking past and speaking their sort of gibberish version of English, that's pretty huge. Mm. As somebody like us who's so deep down the rabbit hole with Ghibli where you're really searching for meaning in all these things and the fact that Miyazaki Senior and Junior and Takata have always gone for these Japanese settings... As both Miyazaki and Takato got later in their careers, they go deeper into the sense of Japanese history, Japanese culture, fairy tales, mythology, history. And then Tomomi Mojizuki almost innocently just throws in, yeah, we can just get a plane to Hawaii. <laughs> and there, there are scenes there. It's really fascinating. Yeah.
0: And I think it kind of plays into a bit that I struggled with, with the film about how the characters relate to wealth. Uh, uh-huh. uh, that kind of confused me. Um, because there's definitely a hierarchy between Kochi and Tokyo and people from Tokyo being wealthier and more powerful and the way that she when she joins the school is kind of treated with an aura around her and that made me think is there kind of this wealth divide between the two and uh, that's definitely I felt like this alluded to that she would have that power but then they would just go on holidays to Hawaii anyway. On a school trip. Yeah. A
1: fancy suit school trip, isn't it? So
0: I was I was thinking during the film, like, how how much money does everyone have? Are these like are these super rich people? Or yeah. is this is this a normal thing to do to go on a school trip to Hawaii because your other school trip got cancelled?
1: Yes. And you do have there is a, a thread through the film which is lost on us reading subtitles about accents mm. and manner as as shown through your dialect
0: yeah she's she makes fun of them for
1: she she makes fun of them for sounding like they're from old movies but then they she's also made fun of by having this brusque tokyo dialect that she mm. comes in and she always sounds so arrogant and stuck up because she speaks in a certain way and there's this sort of dual double-edged prejudice here based on accent which feet in almost to only yesterday only yesterday had that as well mm. of course but is lost for us and would be almost impossible to translate if you did do a dub mm. um so there's clear there are lots of aspects here that just don't quite come to fruition I but that,
0: that's it it's, it's like it's trying for all of these things that we kind of wish it went a bit further on maybe mm-hmm.
1: but where would it rank in the swoonometer for you we're going to go over these the Ghibli romances, so you have your subtextual romance here. Maybe mm. that will actually bring it up the leaderboards, you know. But where where it ranked for you uh, alongside Whisper of the Heart only yesterday? I d- there is there
0: is not like a soaring moment in this. Mm.
1: Like
0: um, looking back recently on from Poppy Hill, I think that actually has, for all its sins, some really romantic, sweet kind of heart wrenching moments. And I I can't say I felt like that attached to anyone in this to get rooting for any romance in it. Um I think she's a little mean and they're a little mean and everyone's a little bit annoying. Um whereas like only yesterday, come on, like this walking up the steps into the sky. Like that's that's a proper switch. Or just the kids at the end. Yeah. I think beautiful. When marnie was
1: there on the boat on yeah. the yeah. lake. Oh. Th- the, and whisper of the heart chock full of those moments. When rises,
0: just holding hands. Yeah.
1: So maybe, yeah, maybe perhaps low down in the Spoonometer. For me, sadly. But where would it rank for you overall in the Ghibli library?
0: Ah, that's time to find out. Let's move on to the leaderboard.
1: Jake, this is the last Ghibli feature. We do have Little Norse Prince and Castle Cagliostro to come, which are pre-Ghibli films. So we'll put them in the leaderboard, the Gibliotech leaderboards. But I, where would this rank for you overall? Um, well, I'm sure you probably gathered from the conversation that it was
0: not an ideal one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we kind of view these two realms of Ghibli films, of these fantasy ones and then these real world ones, um, for me, this is the Arietti of the real world ones. Oh, interesting. Um, it just, like, not a lot of it really just took me to any of the heights that those other films have done um so i think i think it, maybe it's fair for me to put this bottom down like 18th for me mm-hmm. like uh that that's putting it between Earthsea and house moving castle mm-hmm.
1: yes i i'll agree completely for me this would be 19th so it's below my neighbors the amateurs and that's just above Arrietty. It it had so much potential but what they're doing in this film is done better elsewhere. One thing I would say is I've never seen this film on the big screen or on Blu-ray. It's had a Blu-ray re-release recently. I've only ever seen it on DVD. And some of those shots, landscape shots, the s- sequence at where you see Kochi Castle at the end of the film lit up at night. Mm. I'd love to see that.
0: Yeah. It's an it's a very gifable film.
1: As exactly. Well. It's also the uh one of the film that takes place in tokyo right yeah and we're going to tokyo so we could recreate some of these sequences you can be on the opposite side of the platform to me and uh, we can have our little moment
0: and everyone will get it because so many people know about this film exactly
1: <laughs> but that's what what we've done with ghibli Attack. we've yeah. gone deeper and deeper you understand what we're yeah. doing but the great thing about going to Tokyo is that we've ha- we've got a list as long as your arm of things mm. to do, and Ghibli moments that we can try and recreate. We're going to go to the Whisper of the Heart. We're going to go to Tama Hills, aren't we? Gotta we're going push to go you up there. a hill on a bike. I'm gonna. We're going to sing some John Denver while we're doing it. I mean, we do that every day anyway. <laughs> But what's, what's amazing as well about having the twitch accounts people sending us ideas as well what to do for, do in Tokyo because that's one thing people seem to come back from Tokyo with which is a list of recommendations. Yeah
0: do get them sending it's at Gbliotek on Twitter and we want to hear not only what we should be doing after this series but what we should be doing in Tokyo which is going to be imminent.
1: So we want those recommendations ASAP Exactly but we're not done with this mini series. We have two more films left there we're going back to the big guys. Hayao Miyazaki, and Isao Takahata. But we're going to go back to their directorial debuts. And first up in the next episode is Little Norse Prince.
0: Yes. The only thing I know about this one is that I get confused about the name of it. Because this it has is maybe seven... Horace the Prince of the
1: Sun? Yeah. yeah. Or Halls, Prince of the Sun. Okay. It's... The, it's the earliest film we'll do on this podcast. It's made years and years, decades before Ghibli are, are founded. It's, it's going to be an interesting one, Jake, because it's the one that looks nothing like a Ghibli film. We hope you enjoyed your time in the Ghibli Tech this week. You can catch up with us on Twitter at Tech or if you want to talk to us individually, you can catch Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham.
0: And Michael at Michael J. Leader. bibliotech is a little dot studios production our music is made by anthony ing our artwork is by sophie mo and jamie Maisner is our audio wizard the show is produced by michael leader jake cunningham harold mcshill and
1: steph watts that's me Hi everyone. Our little nuggets this week is another round of cameo spotting. Did you spot Porco Rosso in Ocean Waves? He appears about 52 minutes in chowing down at the school festival and also right near the end at about 68 minutes there's a poster for the Porco Rosso film on the train platform.